Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the ministry of your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is spirit and it is life. We thank you, Lord, that your word is like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces. We thank you, Lord, that your word is a consuming fire. Father, I pray that as we minister your word this morning, may my words be transmitted to your people and encourage and ground them in the faith in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I read somewhere in the Bible that says um, God used a donkey to speak. And I'm confident this morning that God will use a human being to speak. <laughs> um, yeah, I trust God that uh, you will be blessed. <clears throat> I'm going to read um, as our text this morning, James, uh, chapter 1, from verse 1 uh, through to verse 12. <clears throat> James, I'm reading now, James, I'm reading from the New King James. Thank you, Ariel. Thanks. <clears throat> so I'm reading from the New King James Version. James, a born servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad, my brethren and sisters, <laughs> count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who will give to all liberally and without reproach, and will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let, take that again, for let not man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat that it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade in his pursuits. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, 
which the Lord has promised to him. Okay, so this is from James, uh, the book of James. I'm just going to outline a little bit um, about James. James is believed to be the author of, the, of this particular epistle. Um, there are four different types of James, or four Jameses known in the scripture. But it is believed that uh, this was written by James, the brother of Jesus Christ. So in this book, it was written about 45 AD, um, and it is the first book of the New Testament. We know that the books were written in different uh, times. It was written, um, so as I said, this is the first book of the New Testament. The, the way it's arranged, the way the books of the Bible are arranged, they are not in chronological order. Okay? So we know that this is the first book written in the New Testament. I don't know, Justin, are we on the same page? Yes, we are. It is written to the scattered Jews because of persecution. We know that um, there was a persecution in Rome or by the Roman um, authorities of the day. So the Jews or the, the Messianic Jews were scattered all over. So this is written to them to encourage them. The aim is to encourage the believer facing travel, uh, struggles of their faith because of their faith. The main theme here is, in the book of James, the main theme is um, a genuine practical faith. Faith which produces works. It is actually the ethics of Christianity, not so much doctrine. Yes, it does touch into doctrinal, doctrinal issues, but um, the book of James is pretty much um, you know, about practical faith to demonstrate your faith in all areas of life. Okay. Faith saves alone, we know that. And, but the faith that saves is not alone. That's a quotation from John Calvin. Justification is shown by works. We are not justified by works, but we are justified for good works. Um, the book of James is also widely regarded uh, by most scholars as you know, the, the Proverbs in the New Testament. It is, it is Proverbs dressed in, old, in New Testament clothes because it's really about practical faith. It is a direct and in-your-face kind of book. It carries 54 imperatives or commands. So the, the, the main <clears throat> key verses, or the key verses in the book of James, we find it in verse, chapter 1, verse 22, where it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, and it says, um, But you do, but do you, okay, but do you want to know, O foolish men? that faith without works is dead. So that is the, 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 the underlining theme of the book of James. So I'm going to go to our text now, and 
before I go to the text, let me touch on the issues that um, James talks about to the, to the believers. The whole book of James, they, in chapter number one, he talks about trials. In verse 13 to 18 of chapter one, he talks about temptation. Chapter 1, verse 19 to 27, he touches on responsibility. Chapter 2, partiality. Still in chapter 2, real faith or real belief. Um, he also addresses the wannabe preachers or teachers. Um, chapter 3 still, he talks about real wisdom. Um, and then he talks about, in chapter 4, uh, avoiding selfish fighting. You would understand that in, in, the, in the rabbinical way of teaching, it was not the teaching that we do where everyone is seated and one is speaking and others are listening. The rabbinical teaching was more of a debate where it would be you know, a discourse and challenging of ideas. And yeah, so that's why he encourages them there that watch out for uh, selfish fighting. Chapter 5, it talks about this, uh, the stewardship of wealth and of people. And then chapter 5, still from verse 7 to uh, 12, it talks about patience and endurance. And then verse 13 to 20 of chapter 5, it talks about sickness and healing. <clears throat> <clears throat> so there's a quotation here by Sam Storms who says, Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. It's not necessarily the absence of suffering, but it is the presence of God. So I want to go back now to our text and break it down a little bit. Um, we read where it says, count it as joy. Count it as joy. Another translation, is it says, count it all joy when you enter into various, or the King James Version says, divers. Okay? So to count it, it means to make an evaluation. It's, it's an accounting term. To count it, it is to make an evaluation, to consider or to assess the value of. And then the word when, they, it says count it all joy when you enter into various trials. So the word when there, it speaks of the inevitability of trials. It says count it all joy when, it doesn't say if, count it all joy when. It's a guarantee that you will enter into trials. You will enter into um, trials and tribulation. <clears throat> and then the other key word that I want to highlight there before I go into the thorough explanation is it says, knowing this, knowing this, it is an experiential knowing. It is an evidence-based knowing. It is a settled and established conviction, knowing this. <clears throat> and then the other word that I want to highlight there, it says, let, or the phrase, let patience. The word let there is a causative verb. 
it suggests that this is an intentional act, not automatic. When it says, let patience, it means it's within your power, it's within your means to allow. It says, allow patience to have its work. The word perfect, it speaks of a maturity or spiritual development. If anyone, let him ask, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to breeze through that. Okay, so from this text, what do we know about um, <clears throat> trials and suffering in Scripture? From the text that I've, read, uh, I've just read. Okay. Trials are an inevitable part of the Christian life. Because we are children of God, we will fall into trials. We will fall. What are trials? Trials come in various forms. It can be sickness. It can be loss of income. It can be loss of a loved one. It can be relational difficulties. It can be... Those are trials. They come to try our faith. The problem in our generation is that we, even in the body of Christ, even in the church... We have seen um, an entrance of something that is not Christian, but that looks like Christianity. Okay, It's a problem of syncretism, which means mixing a number of beliefs um, in order to pursue a relationship with God. We have this concept from, that others teach, that God is like this genie that serves the purposes of man. It's like God is this being that exists to fulfill the desires of man, to fulfill the wants of man. And this finds roots in <clears throat> the New Age movement or the New Thought movement. The New Thought movement says this, it says there is no separation between us and God. It's basically a, 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 a humanization of God and a deification of man. Where we've put men at equal with God. And therefore God owes us blessing. God owes us comfort. God owes us um, you know, all the all the comforts that we may, we may desire. I'm here to tell you that that is not the God of Scripture. It is a quasi-God created um, by all these types of religions, created by the New Thought and the New Age movement. Yes, God wants to bless us. Yes, God wants to provide for us. We... we we, we, we agree, we are in agreement with that. But I want you to know that trials are an inevitable part of the Christian life. Psalms 34 verse 17 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him or them out of some of them. Out of one or two? Out of, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. 
God delivers us from them all. But he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. In 1 Peter chapter number 4, verse 12, verse, uh, verse 12 to 13, he says, but we should not consider trials as something strange. It is an occupational hazard. It is a risk that comes as part of our journey. So Peter here says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though it's something strange or as though some strange thing Happen to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of the sufferings, and when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. I realize that I didn't give you the title of my message, but the title of my message is Unshakable Faith in Trials or Unshakable Faith in Chaos. Jesus said to us, we are in this world, but not of this world. That means that we are promised that we are insulated from the influences of the world. We are in this world, but not of this world. But however, we are not guaranteed isolation. That everything that befalls all men comes to us as well. The next point that I want to highlight there is that to count it as joy, it means to have an established, unshakable, positive spirit. It is a profound perception which looks for a reason. So when it says count it as joy, make an evaluation that what is this coming to achieve in my life? To have an established, unshakable, positive spirit. So when he says count it as joy, it doesn't mean that, you know, when you're counting it as joy, it's, it's, it's not in, in terms of celebration. It's not as in laughter, because that would be silly. But it says to count it as joy. It means to have an established, unshakable, positive spirit. To count it as joy, it means having a positive spirit while you are going through what you are going through. Or going through. It is a profound perception that is looking for a reason that says, God, if, if, if this has come into my life, surely there must be a reason that this has come into my life. And then James goes on to say that if anyone lacks wisdom, we, we call that scripture and say we can ask God for wisdom. But if I want to put it in context here, it, the reason that you're asking for the wisdom is this, that I am unable to be positive in this trial. And wisdom, it means seeing life through God's vantage point. Seeing life as God sees it. That's what wisdom is. Seeing life as God sees it. So it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask 
So if you're going through what you're going through, you don't understand why this is happening to you, James here encourages us that ask for wisdom. Okay? Ask that God will give you a positive spirit while you are going through what you're going through. Now, it also says, I want to talk about endurance, to endure. Endurance comes from the Greek word hupomeno. Hupo means under. Meno, it means to abide. So, hupomeno, it means to the imagery there is given that of, 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 of a donkey that is being loaded for the journey ahead. So when you're loading the weight on a donkey, it stays on its feet because until, rather, until the work is accomplished. So it means to remain under the Lord until it is accomplished. So God calls you and I that when we are going through trials, when we are going through difficult times in our lives, he he gives us the grace to remain under the Lord. Why? Because I have wisdom in seeing things through God's perspective. I'm seeing it from God's perspective. I'm seeing that there's a reason for this. It may not be known to me, but I'm seeing that there's something that God is wanting to accomplish in my life. Let me just give you by way of testimony. In 2017, I, um, I was diagnosed with a, with a brain tumor. And at that time, um, we had established a business in 2014. We were doing quite well, I guess where you have everything going your way. Um, the, 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 the client database is growing. The business is growing. There are opportunities of growth everywhere. But then came 2017. I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Um, it happened in such a way, I, I, was, I was losing peripheral vision. So I went to the optician and um, I thought, well, maybe they'll say you need glasses or something or, you know, something. Um, But then the optician said to me, your eyes are perfectly fine. Your eyes are actually okay. There must be something um, that is causing an obstruction of your vision, but the eyes themselves are fine. I said, oh. So the, 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 the optician says, I'm going to send you for... Um, for a CT scan so that we can see what exactly um, you know, is happening. I went for the CT scan. I wasn't bothered. I thought, well, this is not, this is not a biggie. It's, it's a small thing. Uh, maybe they'll tell me, do this, do that, and yeah, you're done. And then two days later, I receive a call from the optician and says, can you come and see me? I've got your results. I mean, if you know that when the doctor says, come see me, <laughs> there's something there. So I went, and um, the, 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 the optician said to me, um, 
uh, yeah, you, 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 you have a brain tumor. It is pressing on your optic nerves. That's why you're losing peripheral vision. And then I asked, okay, so what, what are my options? What are the treatments available? Can I, you know, what, what treatment must I go on? And then um, the optician said, from what I can see, this is not like a small tumor. You, it's, it's quite established. And you're going to need surgery. So she, she referred me to a neurosurgeon. And um, to cut the long story short, we went to and from different... We, we saw about four neurosurgeons, just to get a perspective, because the first one, it said to us, um, you know, this, this tumor is quite big. They said it's about, about eight centimeters. So, and then they said it's really close to the blood vessels. So right now, if we attempt to, 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 to do surgery on you, two things can happen. It's either, um, you know, we, in the process of removing the tumor, you lose your sight, or in a, you, it can result in paralysis of some sort. At that time, I felt overwhelmed by this burden, by this weight. And now you, you're asking yourself, and sometimes we do ask, but God, why? <laughs> why? I, I, I thought I served you. I thought... But anyway, um, after some time, because um, I, I was then put on treatment to try and shrink the tumor so that they can have access to the surgery. And in, in November of, of, of 2017, I eventually had um, the surgery. The surgery was a success. And yeah, then after that came another storm. In fact, while I was in surgery, the day, the very day that I was in surgery, in our, in our business, in our company, there was a fraud on that very day that I was in surgery. And I didn't know at that particular time, obviously, because I was, I was, I was in surgery. <clears throat> but after the surgery, after, for my healing process to be complete, I needed to rest, I needed to, you know, all these things that they tell you about post-op care. Um, I didn't get that time to rest. I didn't give myself that time to rest because I got away of this is what has happened. So the natural instinct in me was, okay, let me save. Let me save the business. Let me see what I can do. Um, and then along the way, along the way in trying to resolve that, things got from bad to worse. It's almost like the story of Job. You know, where, where someone is reporting that this has happened. And it says, while that one is still speaking, someone comes again. And sometimes you have these days in your life where you say, you know what, if anything else goes wrong, I don't know how I'm going to manage. And guess what? Something worse off happens. 
But it's there to demonstrate that his grace is sufficient. God does not put us through these things to destroy us, but he puts these things in our way to establish our faith, to grow us, to mature us. So, just going back to Hupomeno, to stay under the burden, when all these things that happened, it, it's God that gave us the grace to be able to stay under the Lord. There is a purpose for every trial. First um, Peter 4.19, it says, those who suffer according to God's will. Oh, wait a minute. Those who suffer according to God's will? Yes. There's a reward for endurance in trials. So I'm going to go to now a, a few points on how to maintain a resilient faith. Um, how to maintain a resilient faith in trials. Number one, have a divine perspective. Have a divine perspective. Know this, that trials come to deepen your faith. It comes to increase your endurance. It enhances your character. It builds maturity. Have a divine perspective that when you ask for wisdom, when you say, I want to see from God's perspective, God says to us, these things are coming not to destroy you, not to harm you, but it is coming to deepen your faith. It is coming to increase your endurance. It is coming to enhance your character and to build maturity. Okay. Um, I've just run out of battery, but we'll carry on. <laughs> okay. So the second one is look for opportunities to learn. Submit yourself to God. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. James chapter number 4, verse 7 to 8 Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. It, when, when, when you are in trials, it's not time to run away from God. It's time to run to God. It's time to establish yourself in God. The third point, number three on how to build um, Pray fervently in all seasons. A prayer of faith. James chapter number 5, the book that we've read, James chapter number 5. It says, you know, the prayer of a righteous person avails much. A continuous, steadfast prayer of a believer, of a righteous man avails much. Romans chapter number uh, 12 Verse uh, 11 to 12, it says, Not lagging in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. The fourth element there, stay focused on the sovereignty of God. 
God is sovereign in all situations. God is sovereign. The sovereignty of God means this. This is from the early church fathers um, in, the, in their confession of faith when they declared the sovereignty of God. It says God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as neither is God the author of sin nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures nor its liberty or contingency of second causes taken away but rather established. So the sovereignty of God means this. God ordains whatever comes to pass. It is ordained by God. So when God ordains <clears throat> everything that comes to pass, it means God is in charge. It means God is in control. It means that, <clears throat> you see, God says to us, um, well, in Daniel chapter number 4, it says, no counsel of his shall be thwarted. It also says that um, he is accountable to no man and no one can say to God, what have you done? That is the sovereignty of God. If you stay focused on the sovereignty of God, it means that God is above all. To be sovereign, it means to be in charge. It means to be preeminent. To be sovereign, it means to, 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 to govern, to rule, to direct. So everything that happens in our life, we must understand that God is sovereign over all the situations that we face. God is sovereign in the universe. It is God's freedom to act in his cre creation and with his creatures as he pleases. So God, being sovereign, he says um, um, that I, the Lord, okay, Psalms uh, 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So we need to stay focused on the sovereignty of God. That God is in charge over all. That God, it is God who brings, uh, he ordains everything that comes to pass. With, without him being the cause of evil. So we need to know that God is not the author of evil. When evil things happen to us, everything that happens to us is either, you know, God used or God sent. So when we fall into uh, different types of trials. We need to know that God is sovereign. God is in charge of all that. He governs all the occurrences of life. He governs everything that happens in heaven and on earth. The next point. We need to embrace the wise providence of God. 
The word providence there comes from the Latin word provide, which means to see forward, to see to it. And again, the, the early church fathers say this about the providence of God, that God, the creator of all things, upholds, does uphold a, a direct dispose and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. The providence of God simply means that, again, that God ordains whatever comes to pass. That he upholds all things in his hand. That he has the right and the free will to govern and direct all creatures. Remember that when we are going through what we are going through, when we look at the providence of God, there are bitter providences of life there are good providences of life. But in all of that, God has seen to it. He has looked at it in advance. So it means God has already seen to it. God has um, present, pre preserve, prepared a way and is there to preserve us. The next point. I'm about to close. Embrace the sufficiency of God's grace. Embrace, reach out and take heart in the sufficiency of God's grace. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 9. I pleaded with the Lord, I pleaded um, with the Lord that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm not going to read all of it, but I just want to highlight this point that we need to trust or to take heart in the sufficiency of God's grace. That when we are going through difficult times, God's grace is sufficient. This is uh, the Apostle Paul here says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. And when we read that and say a thorn in the flesh, we think, well, it's just, you know, those thorn, thorny bushes somewhere. But, but, but the image there that Paul is talking about, it's talking about a sharp object that compares to that of, you know, that is used in combat. That, that, is, that is aimed to, to inflict pain. That is inf aimed to inflict harm. That is the word thorn there. So it says, I pleaded with the Lord. This is Apostle Paul saying, I pleaded with the Lord that, please, Lord, take this away from me. But God says, my grace is sufficient. He didn't take it away from the Apostle Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient. What is the sufficient grace of God? The sufficient grace of God, again, we come back to that analogy of endurance, of who poor men are staying under. It's God giving you the ability to bear the weight. And in the process, God is developing character. God is testing your faith. 
God is creating maturity in you. And then Philippians 4 verse 13, we, we, we quote that scripture a lot. Um, Philippians 4 13, we can go back to the, to the previous slide, Justin. Yes. So we, we quote that scripture a lot that, um, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And sometimes, you know, it's used flippantly. I can do all things. You know, the, 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 uh, then you have, uh, okay, this, 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 this new type of Christianity that says, whatever you want, whatever you can see, you can have it. You know, name it, claim it, and frame it, you know. But the, the Apostle Paul, made, he's saying that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the context there, he's saying this, I know how to be, you know, in need. And I know how to have plenty. I know how to be in need. I know how to, you know, to suffer. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here is this. In the season of plenty, God strengthens me to enjoy the plenty without forsaking him. In the season of plenty, God strengthens me to use the plenty for his purposes. But however, if I find myself on the other extreme of life, the same God who strengthens me to enjoy the plenty is the same God who strengthens me to go through trials. I can do so. Paul is saying, on all the extremes of life, there is a constant there. The constant is God, the constant is I can do all things who, through Christ who gives me strength. What I'm trying to say is. You can do all seasons through Christ who gives you strength. You can do all seasons through Christ who gives you strength. If you, may, you may not need this message now, okay? But know this, you will need this message. Okay, let's go to the next, um, I think I'm two more to go and then we're done. Understand that being struck down does not mean being destroyed. Again, the Apostle Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence and the, of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. I want you to notice that the, 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 the not, okay? So it says here, we are hard-pressed. We are not crushed. We are not in despair. We are not forsaken. We are not destroyed. When you go through what you go through, know this, that being struck down does not mean you're destroyed. Sometimes when we are struck down, we think, well, I am finished. I am down. What else can go wrong? But here, we, we, we see that we can be struck down, but not destroyed. So I want you to know that in your season of testing, in your season of trials, know this, you are not crushed. You are not in despair. You are not forsaken. You are not destroyed. Next one. Number nine. 
second last. Do not throw, do not throw away your confidence, for it shall be richly rewarded. Do not throw away your confidence. When you're going through what you're going through, don't throw away your confidence in God. Because it is Him who works in you to will and to do His good pleasure. God works in you to will and to do His good pleasure. Number 10. Praise and rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk says this. Though the fig tree may not blossom, no fruit in, on the vines, though the labor of olive may fail, and the fields yet yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stores, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. When you praise God, when you praise God, when you praise Him, even in the pressing, when you praise Him, even in the crashing, when you praise Him, even in the night seasons, we like to call it, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. But this is it here. It endures. Weeping may endure. But joy comes in the morning. Then the last point as I conclude. Ask the Lord to establish you on the rock that is higher than yourself. Psalm 61 verse 2. From the ends of the earth I cry out. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to a rock that is higher than I. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I. Ask the Lord to be established on the rock that is higher than yourself. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I. There's an ancient song that used to be sung. It says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Then another verse says, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the, supports me in the, in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, then this all my hope will stay. And it says, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Take heart. Take courage. And know that God is building character. God is building maturity. God gives you the strength to stay under the Lord. God gives you the ability to persevere. In James where we have read, it says, Blessed are those who persevere, for they will receive a reward. 
Know that there's a reward when you persevere. There's a reward of righteousness. There's a reward of blessing. If you look at the life of Job, God did not answer his question to say, why do I go through this? Why did this happen? But God takes away the question and gives him his grace and gives him his presence. May we come to a place where God takes away the question why and, be, and take comfort in his presence and take comfort not knowing that God is there to sustain me. God is there to build me up. God is there to, not to destroy me. But when I've gone through all this, I will come forth as gold. Shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Father, all other ground is sinking sand. May we be established in you. May we be established on the rock that is you, our Lord. Father, knowing that the testing of our faith builds character, builds perseverance, and may we let that perseverance have its perfect work. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today listening to this message. I pray, Lord, that you encourage those that are discouraged. Lift up those that are downcast, my God. May we take our confidence and our hope and our trust in you, Lord. May you be our refuge in every season. Father, may you be glorified through our trials. May you be glorified, Lord, that it is you who establishes us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. May you have the grace to go through and endure. God bless you.